Uh, I've got you twice. Why have I got you twice? This is already lots of fun today. We're already recording within about 10 minutes of seeing each other's faces on the screen. This is a record. Hello, welcome to another episode of Private Practice Podcast from the London studio. I'm Daniel P. Brown. And from the Morocco studio, I'm James Hall. And just for the listener's benefit... (laughs) Just for the listener's benefit. For the first time since we've been recording remotely, I've decided to set up the microphone for prioritising acoustics, which means that I have to turn sideways to speak to you, the listener, and then I have to turn away from you to speak to Dan. Just in case at one point in the recording I get, I don't know, let's say carried away, and I forget to turn one way or the other, I'm just going to apologise in advance. Yeah, I'm sure there's a different way of doing this, but James seems to think that... (laughs) He needs to do it like this in this special way. Um, So just for normal people who just like normal, sensible things, today we're going to continue talking about Carl Rogers. Last week we were exclusively positive and shedding light on how he's kind of like almost a saint, (laughs) kind of like a forgotten saint that we were trying to unforgotten. Uh, This week, the dancing on the grave begins as we trashes ideas one by one is that uh broadly what we're aiming to do today (laughs) i guess if you know all of his ideas and can bring them up and trash them i can always make a few comments (laughs) on that i guess this is just for the listener this is carl rogers part two and we're talking about um contrapoints to his ideas i'm just being sensible so that the listener knows what this episode is rather than waiting 20 minutes um because i'm going to ask you dan how are you um i've got some um, I wouldn't say news, but I've got some chit-chat. But I don't want that at the start. We're going to be talking about Carl Rogers. No one's confused as to what this episode is going to be. Dan, what's this episode going to be? Because one of Carl Rogers' big ideas is that uh, you repeat back the thing that the person has just said so that they feel like the communication has been effective and they're not just talking to a wall. I hear, I hear that you want to talk about Carl Rogers and rubbish him. Rubbishing Rogers... Is that what this is about? Rubbishing Rogers? Obviously, I don't want to rubbish Carl Rogers. And obviously, that's exactly how I presented it. So yes, communication was effective. The rubbish that I said, you effectively threw back at me. What I want to do is to give the give the listener a more realistic idea of the ideas. And I mean, they'll have heard us saying that he's a saint. They'll have They'll hear us today saying that there are huge problems with his ideas and then we can all conclude at the end that probably he's fantastic and we should learn from him, but bear in mind that the world is real. It's not a utopia, so obviously he doesn't have the answer to everything. I think... uh... Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Private Practice Podcast Um, and and we'll be seeing you next time. Private practice podcast. So that is for the for all the normal people who 
don't like surprises. They know what's coming up. For everyone else, now we can have a meandering conversation. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, what is it that you? What What do you think? Um, where do you want to begin with this rambling, meandering conversation that isn't rubbishing Carl Rogers, but is just looking at him as a really as a kind of a, in a more balanced way, shall we say? Well, I want to begin with Robert Greene and the 48 Laws of Power, but I don't really want to begin yet. I want to, um, I want to talk to you, uh, and I've got a couple of things to say, and then we can ease into the subject. Unless okay. you want to... Is that okay with you? Yeah, however you want to. So, the, 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 I'm, I th- you probably, you probably realise now I'm chomping at the bit to say something. Yes, I, I always know that, James. Carry on. I'm chomping at the bit to say that I have, in the last two weeks, been listening to all of our episodes from season four and five. Every single one, from uh, the ideas in psychoanalysis right the way through to the end of the flow season. And um, firstly, I, th- I started, I think, in uh, it was January of 2019 uh saying here i am a new person not that irritating person before relaunched Mm -hmm. james hall and then i proceeded to be irritating for a full calendar year and irritating in the following way more or less every time we recorded i would be plowing through my um notes to make sure i got everything into the episode and I knew exactly the direction I wanted the conversation to go in and mm-hmm. I stuck to it and I was satisfied when we got to the end when I could breathe a sigh of relief because it was a total triumph that the notes had been translated into audio and that that was great. Yep. And <laughs> and all the way through, uh, you, Dan, had often had things to say and I would either not respond to them or... I wouldn't. I, I, there were times when I just didn't notice that you were uh, that you were lingering on a subject as opposed to moving on. Okay, are you saying you've changed again? Uh, well, I don't know if I've changed, but I'm talking about one calendar year of recording and editing podcasts. So I've already heard all these before. Yeah, and so. I heard them, um, there's no easy way to say this. Let's, I, I heard them in real time. So I, I don't hear myself when I'm speaking. I don't really hear myself in the recording. I hear myself in the edit. And so I've heard myself because I've edited all of those episodes. But that's completely different to listening to one year's worth of my character in two weeks okay okay i've got something for you you might want to take a moment to just take a deep breath james because we're gonna do uh we've done it before we're gonna do an activity we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna focus just on where we are right now take a breath i I need to do this for myself as well because i realized that at the same time as listening to you i was also clicking on amazon prime and i was also logging on to my ebay um 
And actually, what I was trying to do was look for a Carl Rogers quote that I remembered, but I got distracted by tabs open on my computer. So just take a moment, a few breaths, get the oxygen in. You, you might, the listener might want to do this with us as well. Okay. So you've listened to a, 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 an actual year's worth of recordings, a year or so. I think it was a year and three months, so uh, 12, 13, 14, 15 months. <laughs> okay, so one of us needs to take a few more breaths. <laughs> um, so you do that. Um, yeah, just take a minute because you're going to edit out the minute anyway, so just give yourself a moment and maybe just breathe and focus on what what your key learnings from that year were because I'd be really interested in that rather than you rushing through um, and missing some of the most important points that you wanted to discuss today about how you've how you viewed that year's worth of recordings and I'm just going to give the listener a couple of Carl Rogers quotes to get a bit of context. When a person realises he's been deeply heard, his eyes moisten. I think in some real sense he's weeping for joy. It is as though he was saying, thank God someone heard me, someone knows what it's like to be me. That's a good one actually. It's a good one. Um, so James, you've taken a breath, you've had a sip of your water. So what kind of thoughts did you have about that year's worth of recordings when listening back to them? Not for the first time, probably for the second or third time, but as a big, as a kind of a, a collection of you. Firstly, I heard myself using too many words to say everything. So here, as concisely as I possibly can, I felt your frustration with me. Whoa. <laughs> That's just like, once more for the audience's benefit. Um, Dan literally got up to go and do whatever it was, assuming that I would talk for well and truly long enough for him to do that and come back and sit down again. And he didn't get the chance to do it because I was concise. So we're just going to let him go and get his cup of water or whatever it is cup of water that's that was i you you sort of pulled the rug out from underneath me there because i actually did expect two or three minutes of um i don't even know like background chatter to get to the point whoa give me a moment sorry about that okay um so um you felt my frustration with you. I wanted you to be able to say the thing you wanted to say and it was frustrating that you couldn't. And then there were so many examples of you being dissatisfied, being a little bit impatient, uh, wanting to wrap up, um, maybe being a bit flippant towards me. And I had always perceived that behaviour as... Uh, kind of like um, something in you that doesn't like 
authority for example doesn't like doesn't like behaving for the podcast for example um so like let's assume there's an unwritten way to behave when recording a podcast and that's to be ready to go to uh to to be positive about making it as good as possible to not try and undermine the other person or anything like that i felt like you didn't observe that unwritten code of conduct and that you were quite happy to to undermine me because maybe you thought it was funny or you were tired or you hadn't thought about it or you don't like authority and maybe I was too authoritative or something. And then fast forward a year and I'm listening back and uh, there, were, there were plenty of examples where you started off the podcast quite obviously at ease and then by the end you were very much not at ease and throughout the time in between those two points... I was feeling your frustration and there was no mystery as to why you had gone from being at ease to not at ease. <laughs> uh, that's so interesting because um I think just just so just a quick aside I I think both things can be true. I may well have been behaving in a rebellious um anti-authority not wanting to do things in in air quotes the right way according to James um but at the same time, you may well not have been picking up my cues on the stuff where I was trying to make the podcast interesting or I was trying to communicate with you or respond to what you were saying or was interested or excited or upbeat about the topic at hand. So it, it isn't that, you know, one is true and the other is not. Um, uh, you know, quite a lot of the managers who've managed me have said that I am rebellious and anti-authority and that that doesn't work in a work environment um, which of course makes me more rebellious and anti-authority <laughs> go me I'm so teenage um but um but yeah I think you're right I think when we've recorded a podcast for so many years and especially when it's about personal development and developing insight um it it can be incredibly frustrating especially when the topic generally is brought by you um, and then you don't necessarily want to talk about the topic. You want to say some things about that topic and then move on to the next set of things you've got to say about that topic. But I also don't think that's really what you want to do. I think you want to talk about the topic. Well, I think one advantage is that we went through a lot of ideas in quite a structured way which were useful for me at the time because I was learning the ideas with the listener and I was quite deliberately doing that. Um, so more or less everything in this podcast up to this point has been um, ideas that you, Dan, were aware of because they were books that you had already read or things that you're familiar with from work. And they were think and whereas simultaneously for me, um, I have been reading the books or interested in the ideas from the starting point of the episodes and so assuming uh, the listener might be doing the same thing it's as if I was plotting the course for the listener and Dan was there to reflect um, having let the same ideas settle over however long uh, but now I don't like we're certainly not starting uh, season seven with a, a new big concept 
uh, and we're going to go from start to finish or like following a book and now we're on page 127 or anything like that. So there's plenty of scope to revisit some of the ideas uh, that we've ploughed through in the past and for us both to reflect on them and to uh, potentially update them with um, things that are relevant in the present. Yeah, I think that's an incredibly good idea. And I think that we also know that we've been uh, both quite smugly satisfied at times and also quite dissatisfied at times about our own exploration of certain ideas. Um, And also some of them we've had, you know, an hour, an hour and a quarter and tried to get through a topic that we understood halfway through the episode or towards the end. It just is massive and also brought up all kinds of questions and ideas and thoughts. So I think perhaps, yeah, maybe maybe that would be an activity for us uh, is to map where we've been and see which areas we'd like to re-explore. Uh, one place that we've been is looking at On Becoming a Person by Carl Rogers. And let's just remind ourselves that Dan... Um, gave me this book because he thought I would like it and that it would be relevant and um, and I was quite taken aback by how precise that book recommendation was imagine the worst recommendation you've ever had like you buy something (laughs) online and then it says people who like this also liked and then it's kind of like a cucumber straightening tube (laughs) so that you can grow uh, cucumbers that don't bend and um, you think just so that we're really clear those basically do exist i'm sure they do and i'm sure i was looking i was thinking of you when i was trying to <laughs> but I was, but for myself uh if i if i'm online and i'm buying some lofty book <laughs> you know like a history of psychoanalysis in 40,000 pages and then when I've when I've when I've gone past the checkout, it says people who like this also like cucumber straighteners. I'd be thinking, what, what what a terrible recommendation. So it was exactly what I wanted to read uh, when you gave it to me. And when I'd finished it, we recorded uh, what to the listener is last week's episode, which was more or less uh, sycophantic glorification of Carl Rogers, uh, elevating him to the position of a borderline saint and saying that if only everyone adopted unconditional positive regard then most of the world's problems would be solved which is the kind of the conclusion that I got when I slapped the book on the table when I finished it. Okay so Carl Rogers wrote two core had two core ideas and they were focused around unconditional positive regard which is what kind of the therapist does for the person in the room and the other is um that that the <clears throat> that the person seeking therapy or counseling is becoming a person they're becoming a person it was this is a core idea of his so i'm just going to read a little part of a quote i'm not sure how much of it i'll read um i'll tell by james's face whether i should keep reading um just about becoming a person he moves away from what he is not from being a facade He's not trying to be more than he is with the attendant feelings of insecurity or bombastic defensiveness. He's not trying to be less than he is with the attendant feelings of guilt or self-depreciation. So for Carl Rogers, it was this 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 process of knowing and becoming. Um, and that's what therapy or counselling was about. That was an ideal quote because... 
from that, uh, there's nothing I disagree with. And I think that his ideas in terms of one-to-one therapy or his more experimental group therapy and teaching, where everyone is on uh, the same trajectory, they both, they, all the people involved want a positive outcome and they wanted some kind of transformation from some a, a, a beginning that's dissatisfying to an end or a release from the process that is satisfying. And so I'm not about to start saying what a load of old Tosh and here's why. But last <laughs> week... Um, <laughs> but, you, but you did just say that. You did. No, because the, the clarification I want to make is that last week I was talking about this as a life philosophy. And last week, um, at the end, you introduced what we were going to talk about this week in that how can you unconditionally positively regard a psychopath? If someone's coming at you with a weapon and they are in a, a highly wound up and angry state of mind, do you just look at them as if you accept everything about their behaviour uh, and let them murder you? Uh, so that's interesting because there's probably two um, different scenarios. One is someone is coming at you with a you know a physical weapon or even a kind of a a psychological weapon and an attack at you as a person on the street you know as James Hall or or as Dan Brown um and then someone's coming at you with a you know a weapon or a psychological or or, or real uh, and you're a professional and as a professional you know in the kind of mental health field you potentially can still protect yourself and think of that person with unconditional positive regard knowing that what they are capable of and um, what they might be about to do but on the street to why would you why would you think about someone with unconditional positive regard in that quite extreme example but the same is true in, in a much less extreme example you know you're having an argument with your partner or your housemate because they're so fucking irritating I wasn't thinking of you there by the way James <laughs> because you're you know you're you're having an argument with your housemate or your partner and you're so irritated with them um you know is it not okay to you know can you really think about them with unconditional positive regard when they've just called you a fuckwit because you were trying to ask them to i don't know like do the dishes or take the washing out or you were trying to explain the unfairness of how you're the only person that changes the light bulbs in this house or fixes the toilet when it breaks or takes the rubbish out or recycles you know th- these kind of things like what's the benefit of thinking about someone with unconditional positive regard um, other than a smug sense of superiority in the real world. But can we look at more specifically the motivations of the other person to whom it is difficult to unconditionally positively regard? For example, um, psychopathy and narcissism. Because you just gave an example of someone who doesn't take out the bins and tells you that you should have done it or whatever. Uh, that That could be a symptom of it. Or it could just be a really nice kind person who's had a bad day 
Yeah. Okay. Give me a moment. But we're let's just backtrack just a just a touch. Two things I want to say is one. Let's just try and find some kind of, or maybe you give your understanding, and I'll try and find a um a a description of what unconditional unconditional. It it seems like it should make sense. Unconditional positive regard as an active process what is that what do you think that is and because obviously you, you, your argument from uh, episode one of the carl rogers uh, uh double weaker special is that why doesn't everyone just do it all the time rather than why isn't you know rather than seeing the unconditional positive regard is something that someone does in a therapy room and takes a sustained effort and isn't actually like a natural state of being that is also applicable to all interactions with others which is why I used you know added on the example of housemates or partner and smaller things the first thing that comes to my mind is judgment so for example here's an here's conditional negative regard so if I was looking at someone and before I knew anything about them or what was about to happen I read my visual clues and drew some conclusions such as from from your hair and your clothes and the cultural clue of your t-shirt I know that, and and the, the 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 color of your skin I can see that you're some kind of entitled basic princess uh, who's obviously going to be thick and I'm not going to like talking to you let's keep this to a minimum and um you're probably ignorant of all kinds of things because in my view someone who's not ignorant doesn't look like that so um let's start preparing to defend myself let's try and limit the damage that you might do with your ignorance and your entitlement and your princessness i'm ready to make sure you don't uh, compromise me the way that the last person who looked like you did i'd say that's um well let's just call it negative regard <laughs> judgment yeah judgment's fine okay so the absence of judgment is that is that what you're that's the first thing that came to mind I, I don't know if now is the right time to say this but i don't think that a complete absence of judgment is a good thing i think that's um quite popular with people my age like if any any judgment is is met with the reaction of well everything is relative and if you were intelligent you'd know that and my view is that just to be an orthodox relativist i just think is stupid as stupid as being an orthodox anything else so like for example if if i was an orthodox christian and i believed in the word of god and i thought that everyone who followed that book the way i follow it was right and we're all the correct people going to heaven everyone else who disobeys the code that i think is right is wrong and they are sinning and they will be judged by god and they will be sent to hell it's, it's very much a case of here is a book that tells you what is right and um 
I'm not willing to be open to interpretations or alternatives. And the opposite of that is to say, well, you know, every single situation has to be considered in context and more or less anything can be uh, understood with potentially unconditional positive regard um, because everything is relative and to not think that way is being a judgmental bigot. So I wonder to what extent unconditional positive regard requires the, the unconditional positive regarder to, uh, to, to, to just swallow the ideas of cultural relativism and never again allow anything to be seen as objective as in like a, a value judgment that is that has that has some kind of objective value so like for example just let's just give an example killing someone is it right uh, sorry is it <laughs> other way around is it wrong to kill people um if 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 you're a relativist then you start to say well what if you're protecting your children against a nazi what if you're hiding Anne frank blah 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 and if you're not a relativist you'll say yes it's wrong to kill people no i think i think maybe you might have misunderstood something about what unconditional positive regard is um would you like one of the definitions Yes, please. Um, because I, I think you're mistaking uh, acceptance and almost agreement with all actions that anyone could take, including, and you love these extremes, don't you? You know, the murder on, uh, you know, genocide. Like we, we can be talking about like anything. So it can be as much as an irritation and annoyance. It's about how you think and view that other person and how you kind of, so general definition uh, an attitude of complete acceptance and love, whether for yourself or for someone else. When you have unconditional positive regard for someone, nothing they can do could give you a reason to stop seeing them as inherently human and inherently lovable. It does not mean that you accept each and every action taken by that person, but that you accept they are deeper than surface behavior. In therapy, the idea is pretty much the same, but it's more specific about, you know, the um the client therapist good you've cleared that one up for once we don't need to spend 20 minutes going down an irrelevant yeah but um, um rabbit hole so so in, but it's still interesting you'll be able to say yes i can see that each of the nazis you know they're still inherently human um maybe very flawed they're inherently human and inherently lovable um, which is a really difficult thing to think because how how do you think that the guys that were you know have murdered potentially hundreds of thousands of people in control of these camps how were they lovable well if you just think of it the other way what are the chances that all the world's most psychopathic murdering evil bastards were concentrated in one particular part of the world in one particular time so it's not that those people were born killers. It's that they were all acting on an ideology of that time. And an ideology is not a person. So the ideology existed in that place at that time. 
and made however many countless people murderers. But without that ideology, they were not murderers, they, as in they were not born to be murderers. So you're saying that they were almost victims of their circumstances? I'd say that they were unlucky to have been born in that time. Yeah, I think there was a certain group of people there who were a lot more unlucky. Yes, <laughs> but everyone involved was unlucky to have been, and all of these people were unlucky to have been around when that ideology took over. Yeah. In that part of the world. Okay, so we have um, ruled out the idea that you have to accept every action by every person, no matter how um, debaucherous, disgusting, depraved or immoral, um, but to still be able to, Carl Rogers' idea was to still be able to consider them inherently human and inherently lovable. Should we do a non-Nazi example? Oh, shall we? One second. You... <laughs> Let's say, for example... Your housemate is a um, is very self-absolved. Absolved. Let's say your housemate is very selfish. Okay, let's say that. Or let, let, for whatever reason, let's say your housemate uh, projects onto you their own messiness, for example, and claims that you're messy when all you see is that person making a mess and you feel like you're already unfairly cleaning it up. Maybe an outside adjudicator watching all this would come to the value judgment that that you are actually right, or at least that you, or that would come to the to the value judgment that um, it's unfair that you have that you are cleaning up their mess and that they project their messiness onto you. But does that mean that the person who is messy and projecting it onto you is wrong and, or, or cannot be seen as a, a legitimate human? Like, they just have to be written off as damaged goods. So obviously, in the eyes of the therapist, no, because, you know, that therapist has to pay their rent <laughs> this would be a nice juicy client definitely taking them on but from the eyes of the um the the housemate do they do they do they think their housemate is just a write-off it's like you can't um you can't win they're never going to see that they're the messy one they're never going to realize that they're projecting because they're doing it subconsciously they're just a car crash who's ruining your life and you need to get out. And in the process, they do not deserve your unconditional positive regard. Well, are you asking me? Yeah, I am asking you because... So that person is is just making a mess and kind of unfairly accusing someone else of uh -huh. it as opposed to killing six million Jews. Well, you know what I think? I mean, I think... I think you you need to understand humanity. You need to understand the individual. You need to be compassionate you need to try and use these ideas but that doesn't negate the fact that you can get incredibly frustrated and <laughs> that's valid too <laughs> so but so so how would you unconditionally positively regard this person in that situation well it, in in essence you've got to think about what's going on for the individual if you're talking about the moment then we've got this world pandemic we're all stuck inside there's a really understandable reason why people aren't functioning at their best and aren't 
aren't necessarily um, behaving how they would even want to behave. So there's a there's an incredible stress on people, and that puts um, pressure on them. And then their usual functioning is limited or disabled somewhat. So the moment you might think of it like that, um, you might also consider what that person's background is, how 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 they've been brought up whether they're making a lot of effort and actually they're doing way better than if they weren't challenging their own ideas about untidiness and mess and cleaning and so maybe that you can't see how much effort that person's putting in because we don't really know what's going on inside other people's heads although we can make guesses and inferences from their behavior point out the behavior tell them how it affects you give them some different options ask them for their feedback you know it's it's like a, what what is it about you that means you're unable to or maybe you are able to but in terms of unconditional positive regard find different explanations and ideas talk to the person communicate um don't react in a you know critical way towards them does that answer your question i don't know and i don't i don't, I don't know that it answers my question. I want to... I feel... If I'm in that situation, I live with the person and I've tried my best to talk to the, talk about it with other people, to, uh, to pay attention to exactly what happens in the moment. So in other words, let's say I have a, a, an example where I see the person making mess it's it's unequivocal they make mess in front of me that i am not making and then later on they quite blatantly accuse me of making mess so previously maybe it was ambiguous but this is almost a cartoon exaggeration of the situation like they're playing a caricature of themselves and so in that moment it it, it becomes crystal clear to me okay what I'm dealing with here is someone who I guess cannot see that they are projecting their messiness onto me and I don't see any value in questioning whether there's something wrong with me in this situation up until this point I, I've just been sat here whilst they made mess in front of me and accused me of it I'm open to the idea that how I respond to that might not be good because I don't trust myself to always have perfect reactions to everything all the time in life. So that is something that I have to think about. It's what, it's what I do next. It's how do I not think that that problem is, that that, that, that person is a problem that's unwinnable and that I, sh and I don't need them taking up my headspace I need to get out of this situation and move because I can't find any solution and they are a problem yeah but it, it doesn't it doesn't take away from the fact that you can still see that person as inherently human and inherently lovable and accept that that's how they are just because you aren't able to find a solution by communicating with that person doesn't mean you aren't unconditionally positively regarding them 
Okay, well, this is helpful now. This is helpful. So, so I, so I, so I take it that they, for whatever reason, something has made them th- think and behave this way. I couldn't mm-hmm. possibly jump in their head and know. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a person just like everyone else, and it's and and it's not, uh, it's not baffling that they are behaving this way. It, it, it's something that, um, um, that that is not extremely at the perimeters of of. of bizarre human behavior it's it's something we all encounter and and i know that i'm not a trained therapist and or or, or any or i i know that i don't have the skills to find some kind of resolution to this and i know that it's just not satisfying for me to have to deal with this every single day once more you've made mess and once more you've accused me of making that mess I'm worn out with this every single day so I'm gonna have to move out of this house because I don't think I'm equipped to solve the problem I literally cannot unscrew their head fix the problem like this person is a robot and then carry on Um, so I do have to move out but in the process of that I can recognize that that that's just unfortunate I'm not equipped they have a problem it's not that they are some kind of evil psychopath. Yeah. Carl Rogers said, to be empathic in this way means that for the time being, you lay aside your own views and values in order to enter another's world without prejudice. In some sense, it means that you lay aside yourself. So it's not about not having thoughts and feelings and um and judgments but it's about you know recognizing them letting them float away kind of like with the sort of uh, you know mindfulness activity of thinking of your thoughts as clouds allowing those feelings to come and go and recognizing them carl rogers didn't become a like a perfectly non-judgmental human being after he developed this theory he simply decided not to indulge in his own personal thoughts feelings and values in relation to the other person as they arose in him he just recognized them and let them let them slide to the side uh, whilst in the in the therapeutic environment and you can do the same thing in life but it's a lot more difficult because you're not at the end of the 50 minutes or hour you know therapy session that person leaves and you can allow yourself to think feel and you know, um, and and react and judge as you naturally would. But when you're living with someone, at the end of the, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour, hour conversation about this, whatever the problem is, that person doesn't leave your house and come back a week later for another hour of it. It's there continuously. So you really have to find another solution because in essence, you won't get your own needs met and you won't be able to relax and be comfortable in that relationship until there's a resolution and if that person isn't willing to communicate and find a resolution or accept that you know um accept your ideas or or opinions on the matter then uh, you know perhaps you're at loggerheads and actually you don't make ideal housemates so after last week for the listener i imagine that the way these two episodes will be released is that last week we released part one and this week it's part two Uh, the listener will have listened to them whenever the hell they want but uh in the reality of recording we recorded part one in june of 
last year, 2020, and it's now February 2021. And in the meantime, over the summer, after we recorded part one, I read, firstly, A Way of Being, the autobiography of Carl Rogers, and simultaneously to that, flicking between the two from one day to the next, I was reading The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene, a book that I was very familiar with uh, before, even though I hadn't read it, although I took with me the concise 48 Laws of Power for suitcase volume reasons. And so I'm not going to read you any sort of... I don't, I don't have extensive notes. I don't, I don't have any notes. And uh, I'm not going to trawl through 48 Laws of Power in detail. But I, I think just by starting to read the chapter headings, that will give us enough to go on here. So it's, it says on the back, How to get to the top and stay there. The 48 timeless and definitive laws of power. The book is divided up into 48 chapters. And for example, we have... Never outshine the master. Never put too much trust in friends. Learn how to use enemies. I mean, just on that one alone, imagine um, making a decision to never entirely trust a friend again and to use an enemy. Maybe you already do. Uh, Number three, conceal your intentions which from a psychotherapeutic point of view immediately sounds like a breakdown in communication, which is a problem. Oh, well, yeah, but it's a very, pur- it's a very purposeful um, uh, hiding of your intentions, isn't it? Which is part- yeah, yeah. Here's, an- here's a good one. Number seven, get others to do the work for you, but always take the credit. <laughs> right. And, and my favourite one, learn to keep people dependent on you. So extremely manipulative behaviour. In fact, if I give you the introduction to this one, um, as in the introductory paragraph of learn to keep people dependent on you, it says, to maintain your independence, you must always be needed and wanted. The more you are relied on, the more freedom you have. Make people depend on you for their happiness and prosperity and you have nothing to fear. Never teach them enough so that they can do without you. That's extremely so, which, manipulative. Which, which psychopath wrote this? <laughs> His name is Robert Greene. What can I say? I mean, I, why, why, would, why would you disagree with any of these? It's just like follow these rules and you'll definitely achieve something, even if it turns out that's not what is satisfying to you in your life. You you can follow these rules and achieve something. And if you are doing that, if this is manifesting in the world and opposite you, along comes someone naively trying to unconditionally, positively regard you whilst you are uh, <laughs> making them depend on you for their happiness and prosperity and uh, never teaching them enough so that they're independent. You're essentially manipulating them what are they supposed to make of that as someone who wants to unconditionally positively regard? Well, you, I mean, when you started reading out those titles, then I, you know, there's two, there's two reactions, isn't there? One is, uh, Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful if I could get everyone to do what I wanted and, you know, uh, have an easy life because I followed the 48 rules of power. And the other one is, 
God, that's really sad. And it, it's, it, you know, it's it's the idea that this person is superior su- in, a, in a kind of a superior um, Machiavellian way, getting what they want by using other people. Well, that's, you know, I don't see that person's dying happy. We're just taking it that they exist and if they cut if they cross your path if they move in with you if 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 a machiavellian moves into your spare room with uh 48 laws of power and you didn't see it they essentially smuggle it into your house and then one day uh you notice it on the coffee table and bit by bit you start to know them uh you start to recognize them ensuring that you're kept um dependent on them for your happiness and you suddenly feel like you're being manipulated in a number of ways or maybe you don't even notice that happening until you're so manipulated that someone else stages an intervention because they see it yes there are psychopaths and if you unconditionally positive regard them without any questioning of their actions which remember isn't a part of unconditional positive regard you just um, have to accept that the individual is worthy of time, is worthy of love, is worthy of, you know, is a human. How would you approach that person if they moved into your house and they started trying to manipulate you to become powerful in the house? I mean, it's a good question, James. I don't know. Um I don't know. How, you, you can't know how you'd react. You could, I could give you some... You know, I could give you some possible examples, but the likelihood is if someone is that intent on manipulating me, then I'll be manipulated. So, poor me. <laughs> what, what, what do you think you would do, James, if there was someone in your life who took complete control of lots of things and found you to be um, unworthy of making your own decisions or too stupid to realize that they were just getting what they wanted okay well firstly i wasn't expecting the answer you gave so i didn't leap into formulating my answer to this question because i was processing your answer so your answer was what would happen is that you would be manipulated by them and then you you kind of half jokingly said poor me so poor you so um so you think that you're highly likely to be susceptible to that manipulation without recognising it and acting? I've definitely been in relationships where it has got to a stage where I realise that I have lost certain characteristics of myself or certain... I I haven't given enough time or enough space to my own needs and desires and choices because I have accepted that everyone is worthy of you know time and I've given too much of myself and too much of my time to other people so I've definitely been in a similar example but thank fuck that person was not living or those people were not living in my house with me and I think I think all of us as well are capable of this kind of behavior and I think the more that you give a person space and time and choice and um, power the more they will use their ability to choose over your choice and and decide over your decision. And so I think it's almost 
naturally human but to to purposefully like read that book and make that happen you know that never mind about the purposefully reading the book and make it happen maybe that was unnecessary and that because i prefer your example there what you just ended with there is makes me, like it makes me ask the question but why and then essentially i'm i realize i'm asking the question why are you not better dan um so the question is along the lines of if you can uh, if you recognize people can be like that if you recognize that as soon as someone has a chance of power they might grab it and then they'll almost certainly not relinquish it if you're able to see that process taking place more easily than anyone else because of your practice doing it in therapeutic situations why can you not distance yourself recognize that it's happening and essentially um so i'm not asking why can't you give a perfect reaction but why can't you give uh, a professional reaction in your own life to that as opposed to the answer you gave just now which is well if they want to manipulate me with power they'll probably succeed poor me mhm um because you know having a professional status comes with a whole sort of um checklist a whole uh what would you call it a whole set of behaviors and a whole set of processes and procedures and boundaries that are a part and parcel of being the professional therefore in your professional life it's much much so for example one of one of the greatest things you know you have in your tool toolbox or in your artillery when something starts to go wrong and get difficult with a with a client who is trying to manipulate or get their needs met or is you know using their power in a way that is is sort of counterproductive and counter uh, is not positive to the, like the therapeutic process is that you have a team you have a you know a team to fall back on a lot of the time um obviously not all therapists have that but from you're asking me about me so it, it, the ability to say well actually this isn't just what you know i think and i want this isn't a power dynamic just between the two of us this is the professional boundary um, you know for example i'm sorry i'm not going to have you swearing at me you you know you can come to this room you can come to this space but i'm not going to have you swear at me you know um or i'm not going to give you my money i'm not going to make you your dinner i'm not going to go to all of the different decisions that someone in a relationship or in a house housemate situation might make on your behalf because their decision is better than yours that you don't have that in a therapeutic relationship okay. you can put a stop to any of that quite easily whereas in a personal relationship each time you allow someone more and more choice and more and more power it's very difficult to then get it back so yeah does so does that answer your question james yeah well i mean you asked me a question what would i do in that situation but i wasn't ready for an answer mm-hmm. and i was listening to yours so that's, uh, i i um I feel like certainly in the past I would have been completely putty in their hands and I would have done anything to be agreeable and not displease them because 
in terms of the, the big five personality traits that you're born with, to say that factually as if it's absolute truth is is not possible. But this is difficult because I'm not a psychologist. But there are there are five. I can maybe Dan, resident looker upper of things, can just bring up the the big five. Just the five words as a list the only one i can think of off the top of my head is agreeableness now i know all of them except when i'm recording a podcast and then i forget four so um the one that's relevant right now is agreeableness i i am naturally agreeable i think if agreeableness is something that you're born with and stays with you for your whole life it's not a claim i as not a psychologist am going to make but i do think that that is what psychologists say as a rough ballpark, as a guide for this conversation, I think um, there are character traits that are either you're born with them or you develop them in childhood, and it's difficult to tackle them in adulthood. So whether I was born with it or developed it in childhood, I became not just uh, a little bit agreeable, but extremely agreeable to the point where um, I, I, w- I would probably lie and cheat to avoid a situation where someone would think negatively of me or be upset. Like if I'd made a mistake and someone was going to potentially get upset by it, I would take the moral code, I would open the window, I would throw the moral code out of the window and I would do whatever it took to make sure that that person essentially had the wall pulled over their eyes and continued to think of me as uh, positively and to not think of me as a, um, an obstacle in their life which is essentially extreme agreeableness. Like it's intolerable for, me, for someone to be d- displeasured by something that I'd done. So let's say I accidentally broke their favourite box. Um, the thing that's intolerable would be for me to say, I selfishly was doing something for myself the other day the consequence being that I broke your favourite box that I know is your favourite box, but I didn't value it enough to be careful. Now your favourite box is broken. I can't replace it. It's unreplaceable. And you'll always know that I did that. I couldn't possibly admit that because that would mean that perfect James is no longer perfect. You know, James who doesn't um, cause problems to people is now James who causes problems to people. So I would have to cook up all kinds of reasons why that box broke itself or that box never existed or whatever this is borderline psychopathic behavior and this particular example never happened uh, so i have that the, there's never been a broken box as far as i can remember unless it did and i've uh, repressed it but in that time i'm making it out the way i've just described that example it sounds like i'm the manipulative psychopathic one and maybe i am but let's say that someone wanted to manipulate me and they wanted power over me. They wanted to make decisions. So I let's say I move in with someone. They wanted to make all the decisions about um, the routine, the, the, the daily timetable of the people who live in the house, how money is spent, who makes decisions, etc. They wanted all the power and they wanted to take it away from me. They would have picked up on the fact that I don't, like to say no I don't like to challenge I don't like to argue I'm basically just agreeable so whatever they say if I'm screaming inside no outwardly I'm saying um okay okay um okay inside I'm screaming no 
don't take power. I want power. But mm-hmm. but they would have taken it from me. There's no way that I would have destroyed the image of of, of me being agreeable in order to keep my because my uh, my fear in that moment would be I stood up for myself. I won. I now have the power. You know, it's written in the contract that all decisions are going to be made by me. It's actually, I, I have so much power that it's literally written in law that James Hall makes all the decisions for this house. I won that situation and I've got the power. In my head, I'd be thinking they're all going to hate me for the rest of the contracted 12 months. They are going to hate me. Everything I do, they're going to hate. They might pretend to like me, but they won't. If they socialise, they won't invite me because I'm the one who fought them and won and they lost um so i'm a i'm a difficult thing i'm I'm difficult so they won't like me and that's it there's nothing i can do to win them over anymore so i would never let that happen i would relinquish the power i'd think okay you're going to trample on me here I'm not strong enough to defend myself because I fear you not liking me in the future. I'm going to let you take the power, but in f- but from now on, I'm going to be as defensive as possible and I'm going to watch my back to make sure that you don't abuse it and you don't leave me a, a, an idiot losing money and and opportunities in the future as you just manipulate me throughout the year to come. So I would have been completely manipulated by the person. Mm, that that sounds like a bit more neurotic. Like you're actually doing the manipulation to yourself. Possibly. Oh yeah, neuroticism. So do you have the big five? Neuroticism is another. I one. do. Of course, I do. Of course, I do. The five-factor model, or the big five, is um, the most widely used um, theory of personality, and it uses these five factors to kind of express what personality is for the individual so conscientiousness agreeableness neuroticism openness to experience and extroversion obviously all of these are on a a sliding scale a continuum so uh, conscientiousness might be impulsivity versus discipline agreeableness uh, suspicion versus trusting and i'm guessing there'd be um hundreds of descriptive words that would fit into each of the um, big five neuroticism you know confident versus anxiety or anxious Um, openness is routine versus spontaneity and then extroversion i think we all you know most people know uh, extroversion versus introversion and we're all somewhere on you know um, on the continuum but also we all have preferences one way or the other but we can also all most of us have a flexibility with all of these different character character traits. You know what? From listening to you saying that, giving those examples, I just used a lot of words to massively complicate this with some made-up thing that didn't happen in the past to do with signing a contract and not wanting people to hate me. Here is a short story of something that really happened. Uh, quite a few years ago, I arrived at the Gare du Nord in Paris. I went to the Metro ticket machine, there were two of us, and um, the intention was for us to each buy a one-week pass to travel around Paris. Someone came up to us and said, can I help you? 
and it turned out that he was not the member of staff that we just assumed. He took our money for weeks past. He bought a single ticket each for us, gave it to us. We got on the train, went to um, the station we were heading to, and when we got out, the I think maybe the machine swallowed the ticket or something. Whatever happened, we arrived at that station and realised we'd been swindled. What's the word? Conned. Conned. He. This was a. Um, and this was an, a young outlaw <laughs> at the station who had manipulated us. He had um, taken our money by lying, and we had trusted that. Um, like, I mean, like moments later, we realised how stupid we'd been. In quotes, stupid. But in the moment, there seemed no reason not to trust him. No matter how stupid it may seem to you, the listener. No matter how you might be thinking, what an idiot! No one would <laughs> ever have me like that. Uh, it's impossible. I'm above that. James is just one of those idiots. Uh, that's why there's all these, you know, loan sharks because there are so many gullible idiots like James out there. I don't mm-hmm. think of myself as a gullible idiot. And yet there I was handing over 60 euros to someone who gave me a one euro 70 single ticket or whatever it was. I love him. <laughs> Not you. I mean, the the, the con. Man. <laughs> yes. So what, what, what are you saying about this story? What are you what are you um, highlighting with this story about trust and and um, and yeah, agreeableness? I don't like people coming up to me. I like being left alone. As in, I don't like... If I'm buying a ticket at the station, I do not like a member of staff coming up to me and saying, how can I help you? The honest, rude, blunt answer is, you can't go away. And don't... Yes, don't come... Don't speak to me. I want to be left alone. But I've never said that because that person would not like me if I said that. And how awful that would be. And I don't mean that to be as flippant as the emphasis on awful might suggest. Really, I cannot say to someone the truth, which is I don't like being interrupted, no matter how well-meaning, whether you're well a, a genuine member of staff and you're well-meaning or you're just a genuine member of staff who's got some pushy manager telling you you have to do this or you're a thief trying to take my money, no matter who you are, go. what I really want is for you to go away and leave me alone and don't talk to me. And then in my own time, I will buy the ticket. And only if I really come across an obstacle that I can't handle, will I seek you for help. That's how I feel. But if someone comes up to me, I don't think it's a snap of it's a split second before I'm charming to them and um if they're very manipulative they will manipulate me and if they're not very manipulative I just very very politely say uh, no thank you and if they're a pushy salesperson then obviously the their pushy line manager has told them don't accept no for an answer and they'll have had some kind of psychological uh, training to say this is how you get the sale and they'll be trying to manipulate me and probably in those moments I'll just be saying polite things but in my head I'll be thinking 
don't pay, don't pay, don't do it, don't buy anything, you don't want anything, you don't want this thing, don't buy it, or something like that, maybe. Actually, I don't, I don't repeat a mantra ever like that. I don't, but I, but I, I would know as a core belief that I don't make um, impulse purchases to someone selling them to me. That's not to say I've never done this, but as, as a rule. But they, but but in other, but what I'm saying is that if I w- if I didn't have the if I didn't have the agreeableness, I would just say no. I would just be rude. If I was disagreeable, I would be rude, and I would honestly say I hate it when people like you come up to me. It's really irritating, and I want nothing more than for you to get out of my life right now, because that's the honest truth. When someone's trying to s- help me or sell something to me on the street well don't approach James Hall <laughs> on the street to sell him something instead just take his money <laughs> he is much more amiable when you steal 28 and a half euros from him <laughs> so do you feel like um We've got closer to an understanding of... I mean, I thought you were just going to rubbish Carl Rogers, but in actual fact, I feel like this episode has maybe really just uh, improved the listener's understanding of Carl Rogers' key and core concepts. But I think in that situation... So let's just put me in the situation of arriving in Paris, uh, buying a train ticket, and someone comes up to steal my money... Mm-hmm. as a challenge to myself I want to unconditionally positively regard this person I'm irritated by the fact that they didn't leave me alone which is what I wanted I'm disturbed that I can't stand up for myself and be honest because I'm too agreeable. I can't say the truth, which is, I hate it when people like you do what you're doing. I want you to get away from me now and then I will be calm again. And at the moment, I'm not calm because you're doing something to me that I hate. Stop it, please. I can't say that to them because they won't like me. So um, I'm basically trying to defend myself and disliking them i'm not i'm not positively regarding them at all how how do i deal with that situation differently i i would say that you may well need to think about why it's so unbearable for you to have people dislike you and what it is about them that is more important your opinion their opinion of you than your opinion of them um because if they're gonna manipulate steal and judge you they're no friend of yours james and you don't need to unconditionally positive regard them but if you wanted to understand from a more you know standing back getting a kind of a broader perspective you know someone who is conning people and stealing money off you know um naive tourists in a metro station from my perspective they don't have you know the happiest life and i'm wondering what's gone on for them i mean that might be a very middle class way way of thinking about it but to me 
that's that that doesn't it's not a behavior that really raises your self-esteem or gives you a a sense of purpose and um a sense of achievement i have but to it stop would defin- you. i have to interrupt just on this point mm-hmm. to remind you of the episode of flow when we looked at the chapter of the book where uh mickley chitsent mickley pronounced incorrectly recounts the story of the 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 thief who lifted his wife's jewellery in the night or something like that, uh, basically saying that the, the thief was in flow. And there was a quote that was something like, the thief said, he said sort of like, my, I was speaking to a thief. <laughs> my friend, the thief said, show me something that is as involving and, and as satisfying and uh, keeps me in the moment challenged, but able to meet that challenge essentially in perfect flow as stealing jewelry from a house and getting away with it and i would do that thing but until that happens i am in flow stealing i am a thief and that is the meaning of my life yeah absolutely i get it um you know you can respect that that con man for being able to get 60 euros like that no 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 i don't mean respecting them in the sense that they won you lost begrudgingly acknowledge but I'm that. saying don't begrudge if you're if you're saying you know how do I unconditionally positive regard go okay there's a human being a human being just like me capable of love capable of good and bad deserving of love deserving of being called a human being and look how good he was at making 60 euros in a matter of minutes and getting the hell away from us without actually harming us go him that's quite impressive but if you're thinking if you've if you're left with the sour, uncomfortable feeling, then you don't need to look at him at all. You need to look at yourself. Like either a, what has that left you with? Because it's not about him; it's about you. One, you know, you've already said, "I would much rather the thief likes me and lose the sixty euros than say, no, thank you very much. I do not want your help, Monsieur um, Scootle Poodle." <laughs> you know. Like you would rather he him come up to you and have said, "Oh hi, um, uh, my name's Pierre. I'm not going to like you if you don't give me fifty eight euros. Can you give me the fifty eight euros? And I'll like you. But if you don't give it to me, I'm not going to like you. And you go, "Oh, hang on a second. Of course, Pierre. Here's fifty eight euros. Could you help us get a ticket whilst you're here?" <laughs> and Pierre will say, "No, I have no idea how this machine works." Not say to him, no, go away, I'm fine, thank you, I've used a ticket machine before, thank you, au revoir. You would rather not say that to him in case Pierre walks away going, that guy's a knob. Because <laughs> that would affect you how? The rest of the day would you be thinking, oh, but Pierre, he, he might have just been a nice man that was going to help us get a ticket. He might, you know, what 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 is it about you? Because it's not about Pierre. So either if you want to look at him with unconditional positive regard, go, wow, he's really good at his job. He steals off English people really easily and no one got hurt. God, and I'm left with this sense of, wow, he's really good at that. Well done, Pierre. Mm, I love the French. Um, or you could spend your day going, oh, it's so unfair. I've lost 60 euros and I trusted him and da 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 Like, what do you want? What do you want to do? Do you want to be irritated? Of course, anyone is going to be irritated and go, uh-oh, I've been stupid. And then they're going to feel stupid. But if you then go, actually... That guy's just really good at what he does. He's good. But I don't yeah, okay. I don't, I don't know if I don't know if unconditional positive regard is essentially reframing 
what happened as some kind of like a like homework and who did it really well and you're essentially positively marking his homework yes even though you stole my money you did it really well well done i'm going to give you five stars and a smiley face and you're going to go to the top of the league uh, as if as if you're um uh, as if you're looking at a theft and reframing it as a positive thing i don't think you need to i don't think you need to celebrate how good a thief he is. I think it's more that you need to recognize. So I think the answer is in what you said, and the answer is also not in. And also, what you said is not the answer. I think you just need to recognize that he's a human who is capable of love and is worthy of love, and for whatever reason has become a thief. Maybe he's in flow, or maybe he hates himself and hates his life and is living a much more miserable life than I'm living, which is, and my life is perfectly fine when I'm not. Uh, losing 60 euros everything else is absolutely tickety-boo everything for him is pretty rubbish the only highlight is when is that momentary thrill of the 60 euros and right now that moment has passed and he hates himself again even though he's got the money um it, it's more so i that could be the reality or he could be the 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 mickley mickley thief permanently in flow and all he needs is um a more quote-unquote virtuous pursuit that gives him enough sat- that gives him as much or more satisfaction as the pursuit of theft for him to be in a, a flow channel doing a different activity and he would do a different activity which means that he's not an inherent thief he's just an inherent person looking for flow which is exactly the same as me and therefore it's not that i'm positively regarding theft I'm just positively regarding a person who did a theft because we need to separate the action and the person. You didn't like it when I gave you that answer, so I said... No, I did like it. I just let you finish, and then when you finished, you ruined it by saying that I basically need to unconditionally positively regard theft as opposed to unconditionally positively regarding a person who committed a a crime that I don't have to regard positively. I'm going to pick you up on that. I, I didn't once say that you should be pleased about the stealing, but impressed with how he did steal. Because he was better than you, <laughs> much better than you. He was better than, better than, better than you. But I definitely agree that there is, um, in all of the examples I've given of myself, so, well, all of them, both of them. Uh, the hypothetical one where someone uh, in a house share takes power from me because I'm too agreeable to stand up for myself because I don't want people to not like me for 12 months while we live together, or I fear that would happen. That was the hypothetical one, uh, which I then inverted to say, um, to imagine if I had taken, taken the power and won and imagined that everyone would dislike me and how awful that would be. That was the hypothetical one. And then the the real one was when someone did actually swindle me in a a ticket machine in Paris. Um, Firstly, it's now very clear. It was uh, at the beginning of this conversation, it was not clear to me how I should apply unconditional positive regard. Like how, if someone steals money, and they essentially manipulate me and uh, and I lose out and I do not further my prosperity in the world. And if I was to do that 
every hour of every day I would have no prospects and I would be dying in poverty um, and you're telling me the solution is just to naively look at these people manipulating me and think but they're just uh, wonderful people too and I must just appreciate that and I must not judge them or think negatively of them I thought well that's impossible you can't live your life like that people are out to get you you can't just constantly let them manipulate you because you will be a loser but the way that we've discussed it the separation of the person and the act is vital you can't live your life having everyone stealing 60 euros from you because your money is finite and even if you're a billionaire if billions of people steal 60 euros from you you will have nothing and you won't be able to afford your next meal that's a ridiculous scenario but if you're a normal person and uh, let's say every month someone steals 60 euros from you you might end up thinking oh, i can't afford my rent what do i do i've been taken for a ride so many times um And you could think of that as gambling, maybe, for example, like, um, you know, you're being manipulated by a very successful company who has um, used models of psychology to get you to constantly send them money every month. And now uh, you can't afford your rent and you're in a really big problem or you've just lost your job because of your gambling and all this sort of thing. Um, you have to stop gambling. You can't just sit back and think, oh, but the person who's successfully manipulating me I must just sit and unconditionally positively regard them you have to stop gambling because you're uh, for, for practical reasons your life is going downhill and will continue to do so and there will be suffering and you can't tolerate that amount of suffering you have to do something about it but the person who is successfully manipulating you their actions are bad you do not need to be relative and say oh everything's relative and maybe they had a hard day and maybe they come from a tough background and uh and all this sort of thing that what they're doing to you is not good for you and you don't have to reframe it as being good it is not good for you but it's their action that's not good for you the person themselves is not that action absolutely that that is a good key point and i think that was that so that was a huge uh confusion for me at the start of this episode that i wanted to clarify and uh, i think yeah. you've done it wonderfully for me <laughs> thank you james thank you one of one of carl's little quotes about this this you know on becoming a person and and um that I really like, that I keep on seeing popping up all over the place, is this one. The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. Um, so, you know, a lot of what he was doing in his therapy sessions was to help people accept themselves as they are now, and then from that be able to move on and make positive changes in their life. Um Yeah, I, I highly recommend reading a little bit of reading a little bit of Carl Rogers. Even if you just go to Pinterest and read all the quotes <laughs> and the little little glowing boxes. Um, I really enjoyed reading a, a Way of Being. Um, there were so many similarities 
between his description of himself growing up and my view of myself growing up, not just the fact so the fact that he died in 1987 and I was born in 1987, um, and I jokingly said that I was Carl Rogers reincarnated, did not dissolve into ludicrous coincidental nonsense when I read that book and was felt like I was reading my own future autobiography. <laughs> However, I do not believe that I am Carl Rogers reincarnated. I am joking. Okay, well, I'd like to, I'd like to say that I think we've explored Carl pretty well and I think that we can say goodbye to him for now. I've got two things to say. And I don't want to just—I don't want to just interrupt you and s- to say them. I want to tell you that I've got them to say, so that you're not disorientated by my inappropriate interruption. Is that—is it okay that I have okay. two things to say? Yes. Well, hold that horse for forty-eight seconds. Okay. Forty-nine fifty. Okay, perfect. Um, I just wanted perfect to say—I um, just wanted to say hello to the twenty thousand, the listener. <laughs> so sorry so between last week's episode and this week <laughs> uh, uh, dan asked yeah. me to have a look at the analytics which i um habitually ignore and somehow i, lo- we, I love those analytics yeah, you know i love them but somehow the numbers the, the the game of number wang went from uh previously we used to go between let's say 202,000 so somewhere in between that was possibly an accurate figure of how many subscribers there were to our RSS feed and then for some reason in 2020 in the period where we released absolutely nothing um, that number went up to nearly 20,000 the listener who will always be singular 20,000 20,000 the listener I'm not I don't really know if that's true or not but well, hello to all twenty thousand the listener. But I just wanted to clarify that nothing changes as far as I'm concerned. I am talking to you, the listener, and it doesn't matter if you are one, twenty thousand, twenty million, or twenty billion out there in universes that I don't even know exist. I am talking to you, the listener, and and your wife in the next room. <laughs> Who's also the listener? Just that's just a little jokey reference back to another episode last year when I met um, Adrian at your birthday party. Is it Adrian? Huh. Yeah. Yes. It is. Yeah. And and you met Kerry. She was in the same room. Yeah, but the, the no, no. The joke was that. So what happened was I met Adrian. He was talking to me, and then suddenly um, I was introduced to Kerry, who was on the other side of me. And it turned out that she also listened. And so I was in the middle of the listener. And I thought, what do I do? Do they both know that they're, they're the listener and therefore they're not <laughs> the only one? Or do I just, pretend, do I just uh, you know, gloss over this and pretend that, that, that just um, uh, address each one as the listener in the hope that they don't notice that there's another the listener uh, in their yeah, house? Yeah. <laughs> Keeping your conversation very quiet each time you turn to your left or your right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, I, I think I think we got somewhere today. 
And so what are your thoughts on future episodes? Because this is we haven't launched season seven. Last year, we launched season five, which was the flow season. And we recorded 12 episodes in six months. I'm being well behaved and I'm simplifying. I'm just going to say it doesn't matter that this isn't absolutely accurate. It's as good as accurate. We recorded 12 episodes in six months. That's basically every couple of weeks we recorded an episode and we record and we Mm -hmm. released them once a week for 12 weeks. This is part two to an episode that we recorded back in June last year. Yeah, okay, I get it. But do you? I'm not sure you do. I'm not unconditionally (laughs) positively regarding you at the moment. I'm judging you as a person who can't get themselves organised enough to record the next episode. I think I've been well behaved and now I'm just indulging. Ruining it all. You're ruining it all. Yeah. Um, Publicly shaming Dan as a person who cannot get himself organised to record episodes and uh, letting himself... He knows that this is true. He knows that I'm not making this up. And now he's wriggling in front of the listener and feeling awkward and embarrassed and shameful and hating me for doing it. Why would I do this in front of the listener? Why would I not just wait until we've stop recording like a reasonable person would i i actually have real problems <laughs> so uh no no you're absolutely right i can completely understand your frustration with me um and you know the listener probably also should be quite irritated with me because i i could have been there for you during lockdown if you are indeed listening to it contemporaneously and I wasn't there for you. I was there for the people of Britain in a different way, but I wasn't there for the listener. And I'm sorry. I am deeply sorry. This doesn't mean, though, that my behaviour will change. Um, and although I se- accept myself as I am, a disorganised, chaotic, um, neurotic, um, and somewhat extreme on the ends of both extroverted and insular depending on how the mood takes me i i can apologize from the bottom of my heart but i cannot promise that i will change i didn't expect that i thought you were going to have some kind of like sarcastic response to give me so uh, i maybe if i make an effort to be well behaved for an hour and a half and then i just playfully have a moment's stupidity at the end um I mean, it works for me. It's a better balance. (laughs) And I wonder what the listener would think. If you hated this episode and you you preferred uh, favourably comparing yourself to me, listening to me being being obnoxious, and this week um, you're you're left thinking, that's not what I signed up for um then there's a contact us page on privatepracticepodcast.net and so next week uh and then this is where dan potentially has an idea of what he might like to talk about next week because i'm not prescribing with my grand plan and it's not necessarily next week because just this this is a sort of like this is carl rogers part one and two exist on their own so it's not following on so they just float there in the ether um i think next time on private practice podcast the random topics generator button is being pressed by dan now 
It's back to basics. Why are we here and what's the podcast all about? <laughs> Don't worry, the listener. Uh, Dan and I will have words. I'll knock him into shape. I'll come up with a sensible thing and make him feel like it was his idea. <laughs> I'll play that power game. <laughs> I'll leave him uh, dependent on me and I won't give him enough control that he becomes autonomous. I'll I'll let him have just enough... Con- what was the... Hang on, I've forgotten already. I, should, I need to know these off by heart. And the interesting thing is I'm allowing James to think that that's what I want, you know, um, and yet actually what I really want is for him to come up with the topic. I will maintain my independence... I will always be needed and wanted by Dan. The more Dan relies on me, the more freedom James has. More people depend on me for, my, for their happiness and prosperity, and I have nothing to fear from that, if I follow this rule, learn to keep people dependent on you. Never should I, James, teach Dan enough so that Dan can do without me. All right, all right, well, go, go, go. Um... I reckon, you know, we could go through a few of those chapters because they are just like, you can bleep this out. They are cunty. That's a cunty book. <laughs> I hate it. Um, Maybe we should look at more cunty books. Please do bleep every single one of those out. I think it's always funny when you bleep the cunty bleeping out. So, um, Can you do that for me? Well, I haven't done that since we relaunched for season four. So uh, the the list, t- 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 mm-hmm. you remember in seasons one to three when I used to do that. The listener doesn't necessarily. Okay. Well, listen, that's all I've got time for today. Um, uh, although I've got lots more time for the listener just today. I've got to get back to work and I've got uh, emails to send and phone calls to make and reports to write, probably databases to update. And I've got ideas to have. That sounds very boring. It's actually not. My job is awesome. I've been Dan Brown and I've got, and I'm a mental health professional. And so I've got, so sorry, I'm leaving you the listener, but uh, I'm about to continue with my rewarding job, helping people with their mental health problems out there in the real world. And I'll come back to you with the next episode and it'll be, uh, my focus will be on you then. Until then, I'm going to try my best to help some other people. Would be much better than, I've got emails to send. I've got spreadsheets to update. I've got PDFs to make. Uh, I've got to look at my calendar. Actually, I've got to sync my calendar. Actually, I think I need to update Outlook because... Okay, James, so so you did mine, so shall I do yours? Yes, please. Um, and it's a goodbye from me, James Hall. My job is making bus timetables for small <laughs> bus companies in the Midlands. I'll see you next time on Private Practice Podcast. Take care, goodbye. <laughs> it's the wonderful-